Greetings, everybody. Welcome to the Brian Pierre Grossi podcast. That's me. I'm so delighted to be with you, to be sharing this moment with you. And uh, got a great guest today, Mike Rosenfeld. I've known for a long time. First time guest on the podcast, though. Excited to share this space with him. We're going to be delving into something that's been profound in changing. My life, we're going to delve into um, his background, we're going to delve into his work with professional athletes, celebrity artists, corporations, and how he's bringing these realizations, these openings, these shifts in consciousness to these populations that aren't often served in this way and how that's happening and what's opening for him in that way. And um, he's joining us right now. The add button is happening. Connecting. Hello. Hi, Mike. Brian, how you doing, brother? Good. Good to see you. It's great to see you too, man. You're in South Florida, right? I am in South Florida. And uh, or what we have of South Florida today, if you're watching the news. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm in Miami, Florida. Yeah, is there the, what's happening with the hurricanes? What's the latest? The latest is that it's, if it's going to hit here, it won't be projected to hit here until Tuesday. Mm. But if, I mean, you know, you've lived here before. If you drive around South Florida, there's traffic everywhere. You can't get into the gas stations. The supermarkets are emptying out. And um People are just uh, in that fight or flight space and uh, freaked out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I did live in South Florida. I was there. Um, and my recollection, you know, one of the things I talked about with you yesterday that I think is really awesome about um, what you do is you have a, a knack for reaching populations that don't normally, um, aren't, aren't normally reached you know, with the kind of teachings that you're offering or the kind of coaching you're offering or just the insights and, and openings that you're offering. And so um, one of my um, early memories is you had, a, you had a spot in the inner city in Miami um, and you work with a lot with like at-risk teens and you had me one time come and, and uh, work with a class there. And it was just, it's just a really beautiful Thing. So I'd like to know, like, how you connected with these populations, why you connected to them, and what is the affinity that you feel for them, and how do you reach them, and how do you make um, openings and transformations the way you do? Yeah, so from a very early age, I had these belief systems about myself that I um, wasn't important and that I wasn't intelligent. And because of these belief systems, I began to act out in certain ways where I ended up getting myself into a lot of trouble. So I'd lived on my own since I was 14 years old and I was put into programs for juvenile offenders. But while I was in these programs, a lot of the kids that I was incarcerated with um, came from low-income areas, disadvantaged areas. And when I got out of one particular program, I really didn't have anywhere to go. So I was living in a part of Miami, it's called Overtown with my best friend. And um, his family took care of me. The community took care of me. And ultimately, as I grew older, I knew 
having gone through a lot of trials and tribulations, that part of what I had been through um, was so that I can share some of my experiences with others. So initially what happened was I went to work for a small, small ad agency in Tampa uh, that was contracted by a much larger one. And our ultimate client was Seagram's. And I was moved up to New York to work for Seagram's. And I became very close with the owner of the entire corporation. It's a billion dollar company, as well as the vice president of the company. And at that time, Seagram's was the parent company to Universal Music, Universal Entertainment. So I was making a lot of money marketing music that had a very negative message and the demographic that we were targeting were kids. And I didn't believe at that time that I was kept on this earth, having lost a lot of friends, having fought with massive cocaine addiction. I didn't believe that I was kept on this earth to be poisoning the minds of kids. So ultimately what I did was I left working for that company and I came back to Miami where I started a nonprofit working with gang members who were at the age that so many things that went wrong for me were happening for them. And I just, for 11 years, I did that with this really strong sense of passion, loving the music that we were making and loving the purpose, loving how we were using art as a tool for therapy and helping these kids like really tap into their authentic voice and make the distinction between the world of should, I should do this, I should be that way, as opposed to like what's real for me. And I just really resonate with that community, um, always have and still do. And you, a, a lot of what you're working with was young men, right? And a lot of these guys, they're a lot of machismo, you know, I would say very masculine. And how do you, how do you reach? And now, so, so to kind of jump forward what you're doing now, which I want to hear more about for sure, like you're working with professional athletes now, um, which is, you know, the same. It's like very machismo of culture, masculine culture. And, and how, are you, how are you reaching these populations? What, what, what is, how do you connect? Yeah. So in terms, are you asking in terms of what my message is or how am I meeting these people? I feel like, yeah, both. What you, for, for your messages and how, how are you connecting? How are you meeting them? Yeah. So for myself, uh, I grew up boxing. And... And, and I use boxing as a tool to compensate for my insecurities. Mm -hmm. I got initiated into a, a gang at a very early age to compensate for my insecurities. Mm -hmm. So I use that machismo. I use that toughness mm -hmm. to hide the fact that I was just a really scared person. Mm -hmm. I was a really insecure young boy. Mm -hmm. And what I've learned over a period of time, initially coming from Bruce Lee's teachings, is if you take a, a piece of wood and, and you go like this, it's not going to do anything. It seems very strong. But if you give it a little bit more pressure, it's going to snap. So he talks about being like bamboo. And a lot of these guys that I work with, I mean, I work with world championship fighters, um, professional football players. A lot of these guys know how to, how to be this. But off the field, they find themselves getting into a lot of trouble. They find themselves not allowing themselves to feel. And ultimately, when they first come to me, they're coming to me because they're having a lot of anxiety. And the anxiety is coming from a fear of not allowing themselves to process certain emotions that maybe throughout their lives they taught were a sign of weakness. What they want is they want to be at their best. They want to think great. They want to feel great. And they want to dominate whatever sport that they're playing. 
So for me, it's a really easy access because to me, I'm not going in saying, hey, listen, let's go meditate or hey, let's go do some breath work. I'm saying, hey, listen, I can help you get there. I just need you to trust this process. And they do. I love that. So, so you're, you, you, the peak performance, you're, you're mm -hmm. inviting them to reach their peak performance. In order to reach your peak performance as an athlete or as a human being or as, in the, or as someone that moves to their daily life, we need to access our feelings, right? And not be holding on to a trauma from the past, not trying to cover it, not trying to escape it. But it's almost like, and this is the way I look at it. It's like when we talk about masculinity and men, it's, it's so much is about courage and, and uh, you know, the battlefield and facing these challenges and overcoming challenges. But I think the next level for men, which is the deepest level, is on the inside, right? To be brave and to be courageous and to face the internal challenges and not mask it with exclusively external challenges. And when you can really face these internal challenges, you will succeed another level externally, right? In your chosen craft. And it feels like that's what you're, you're bringing people into. Yeah, for myself, like I, I was insecure, right? I was really insecure as a young person. So what did I do? I put on this mask that I'm super confident, right? Mm -hmm. And by putting on this mask of super confidence, what happened was anytime I was triggered, that insecurity would come out, but in the ugliest of ways. So rather than hating myself for being insecure and creating like this internal war, I learned to love all of myself, even the insecure component of who I am. Because at times being insecure has hurt me, but there's a lot of times that that insecurity has caused me to say, okay, wait a second, let me take a moment, let me reflect, let me get clear. So now I can use what I once deemed to be this negative attribute of who I am mm -hmm. as something that's really positive to move forward with strength and courage. Yes, yes, yes. I got to tell you a story. I was on a, I was on a plane from Europe a couple of months ago and, um, uh, you know, they have all these movies, right? So it's like, oh, what do I want to watch? I'll watch something. So there was a bat, I think it's Batman Returns is the one that I saw, um, there's so many different Batman ones, but this was a really good one, right? Um, Christopher Nolan's a director who's an excellent director. And it's the, it's the beginning of Batman. So it's, it's him from, uh, from a child and how he became Batman. Batman. Oh, um, there's no, I think we're getting some kind of, kind of feedback, yeah, feedback now. now. Yeah, I, that's why I was changing headphones. It seemed like we were getting some feedback. Is this, can okay. you hear me? I think we're good now, yeah. Okay. Okay, so yeah, so he, he um, he has this trauma when he's young, he's in this well and he's stuck inside this well and all these bats come and um, just really terrifies him, you know, and they're, they're kind of attacking him and he's in this trauma state where he's afraid of, of bats. You know, he has this terror, terror of bats his, his whole life. So then time progresses, he's a young man, he goes to some kind of superhero training place in the mountains in this glorious place in the mountains and they're, they're training him and they say, in order to become what you're really called to become, you need to face the thing you fear the most, mm -hmm. right? So they take him through this journey. It's almost like a, the, way it, the way the movie shows it, it's this like internal, almost hallucinogenic experience where he goes back to that very same moment where he's caught in the well and the bats are attacking him. 
and he relives it, except this time he's not afraid, you know? And then the very thing that was his shadow that was holding him back becomes his superpower. And he then becomes Batman. Right? So I thought that's such a powerful metaphor for what you're talking about. It totally is. I mean, like, when we're at war with ourselves, when we hate ourselves, or we hate a part of ourselves, we are just creating this, like, internal battle. And it, it makes us contract. It, it makes us step into the arena really small, whether the arena be a boxing ring, a football field, a business room, a relationship, anything. When we are beating ourselves up because we hate a part of ourselves, what we're doing is we're just limiting our strength. And he, really, we're here to show up big. We're here to show up full-fledged, fully open, all love, all power, all passion, all purpose, all of that stuff. So part of that stuff is learning to how to make peace with what we're calling the shadow here. Mm -hmm. right? it's, it's learning to love that shadow and utilize it and know that it's actually serving us. And the cool thing is, I, I use breath work um, as one of the top modalities in working with athletes. And the reason why I do is because, well, first and foremost, um, athletes want to learn how to get into the zone, right? So when we talk in, about the zone, we're talking about what is now also referred to as flow state. And flow state is when you're completely in the moment. And you're able to access part of your brain, a part of your mind that normally is completely closed off. But the mind likes to grasp onto things. So the mind, Brian, by the way, I learned a lot of this stuff from you, man. And like listening <laughs> to your stuff. Like, I just got to tell you this. I got to give you credit. Like, like the mind lives in the past, right? Mm -hmm. And the past is limited because it stops right here. Mm -hmm. And the mind lives in the future, which is also limited because it just starts right here. Mm -hmm. I can't control my past. I can't control that past play. I can't control what happened last game or yesterday. So if I'm giving my energy to the past, I'm giving my energy to something I have no control over, which means I'm really depleting myself. So the only time that I personally look back is to learn and to have gratitude for the experience. And the same thing with the future. I can't control the future. If I can control the future, I just say, I won the game and not have to play. All of the power is in the now, which is infinite. It's infinitely now. Now it's now, now it's now, now it's now, now it's now. And when we're in this space, we're opening this portal for creator or universe or whatever we want to call it to creatively use us, right? Our, obviously, our front cerebral cortex, which is the analytical mind, is what gets in the way of that. The breath is something that's happening in the now. Every now we're breathing. And that's important because if we can connect our breath to our breath, we can take our mind to this moment. But what's interesting about the breath is 70%, 70% of our metabolic waste is released through our breathing. That's a, that number is like astounding. 70% of the toxins in our body we release through our breathing. So when our bodies go into, when we're confronted with a challenge and we go into fight or flight, the first thing that we learn to do is contract, to tighten up and to hold our breath. So if I'm holding my breath in the moment, what I'm doing is I'm holding on to those toxins and those toxins are keeping me in a psychological pattern. 
whatever our psychology or emotional state is, will affect the way we breathe. So if I'm walking out onto the field and there's 70,000 people out there and I'm like, oh no, pressure's on, pressure's on, essentially that psychological state of oh no is causing me to contract and hold my breath, keeping me in a very limited version of who I am. But just as our psychological and our emotional state affects the way we breathe, our breathing can shift our psychological emotional state. What athletes want, they want to connect to the zone. They want to get into the zone. That's being in the now. They want to feel confident. That's being able to master their thoughts and their emotions. And that's what the breath does. It releases the negative emotions. It helps us shift our consciousness by injecting the consciousness of any state we want to be in into our breath. So if I want to get into that space of ultimate confidence, I'm not going to breathe like this. I'm going to inject ultimate confidence into my breath. However it looks or feels like for you, there's not one right way of doing it. And people begin to find their sweet spot with their breathing. But that comes by accepting whatever emotional state we're in and being able to work from that in order to get to the ideal emotional state. Beautiful. I mean, this is the modality that it's really, really well stated how you said it. And people are commenting that they're really appreciating the way you're, you're sharing. Hello to everybody, by the way, who's here live with us. Thanks for being here. And you can uh, share comments or questions anytime. Um, I'm following along with what you're sharing. And if you have any questions, if I don't get to it right away, I'll get back to it. So feel free to continue to hit those heart buttons. And you can actually share this as well. It's very easy. Just click the share button. Share it with your friends if you're being inspired by what is uh, transpiring here. So, um, so yeah, this is, a, this is a modality that both of us independently have come to. It's like, oh, this is because people are like, you know, this sound, sounds great. How do I do it? Right. Mm -hmm. And this, this to me as well as the modality I've found that is the best way I would say to access everything that we're pointing at talking about. So if you want like an experiential way to dive in, if you're a practical, pragmatic person, you know, this is, this is the way to dive in. And the breath is, is always happening in the moment. Um, and it's, it's this, and the thing I think that's important to state too, is I love looking, I love looking at professional athletes and studying professional athletes. Um, because not only because of the sport itself, but because it all applies as a metaphor for life, for life itself. Yeah, I hear that. Some sort of like, sounds like a vacuum cleaner. Yeah. It's <laughs> happening. Sounds like it's gone now. But yeah, so do you, do you find that? Do you find that this, this applies to people, how people live their lives and the experiences of their life as well? I do. Can you hear me, Brian? Yeah, I hear you. You sound, you're, you sound good. You sound clear. I hear your voice twice, though. It's very strange. No. Give me one second. Um, okay. So while he's uh, tuning in to the technical challenges, if anybody has any questions or comments they want to get in, share. Meanwhile, go ahead and do so. I love, I love being live and just whatever the energy, the vibration, the frequency of what's here comes through and happens and is present for us. Um, and really this, this, this extension out into life itself is, uh, I think, what is exciting. Mike's trying to get back on. Oh, there we go. So he'll be back with us temporarily. 
but all these aspects, you know, when you, when you look at, um, when you look at sports, you look at athletics, you look at a game, it's like, it's all applies to how we live our lives, you know? And when we're in a situation, thank you, Winifred, when we're in a situation that is, okay, I think he's coming back. Yes, Jane, we'll get to that in a moment. Okay. There's still, you want to say something? Hi, can, hear you? can you hear me? Yeah, I think we're good. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, how does this, how does this tie, do you find that it relates to the athlete, the sport, the game, that it ties over to life? And then uh, Jane has a question after that of how to do the breath work. So we'll, we'll address that first and then second that. Okay, uh, absolutely. In mm -hmm. fact, um, so I've learned through Dan Brule, I've learned from um, Stig Stevenson, I'm learning from a lot of different like world leaders in the breathwork movement, Dan Brule being my direct coach. And um, he coaches Tony Robbins, he, he works with, I mean, he worked with Osho. I mean, he just is one of those like leaders in this, in this movement. And there, he taught me a specific breathwork sequence. It's a three-step process. And they use this process with Navy SEALs. And I use it with the athletes. I work it, we use it with CEOs. I use it with everyday people. Essentially, what the process is, the first step is called activation. And it's simulating life. Life activates our emotions. There's a lot of different emotional things that we feel from life. But let's just use boxing, for example. You walk down that aisle, there's 35,000 people screaming, going crazy. That activates a lot of emotion, right? Whether we like it or not, it's the reality of being human. So we learn to love it. When you go through activation, you're either going to contract or you're going to expand. And in life, all suffering comes from our inability or our unwillingness to expand and let go. We tend to contract and hold on. So the first phase is simulating that, where you're activating the emotion. The second part of this breathwork sequence is called processing. So now that like, I'm activated, I'm either going to process this by saying, oh no, and tighten up, or I'm going to process this in such a way that allows it to just move through my body in a very healthy way. And then the final phase is integration. How do I take all of this emotion that I'm feeling and channel it towards my desired outcome, whether it be in the boxing ring, whether it be in a relationship, whether it be anywhere. We get controlled by our emotions in a very unhealthy way instead of processing them in a very healthy way. But we have the capability to learn how to do this in such a way that allows us to heighten our experience and ultimately our performance. Awesome. The, the first step, would that be kind of analogous to visualization? No, the, um, the, actually the last, bit, the last step is more visualization. Okay. The first step, um, anyone, have you ever done, I mean, you have, anyone who's ever done breath work has done certain sequences where um, maybe they're doing a circular or connected breath where it's like, mm -hmm. and when you do that, what you're doing is you're activating a lot of tingling sensations. Mm -hmm. um, you're activating a lot of lightheadedness type sensations. Mm -hmm. 
that's really what the first step is about. It's really going intense into the breathing experience. Okay. Um, and what happens is it's really cool because each and every one of us have created these belief systems about ourselves. And these belief systems that we have about ourselves become the lenses through which we see the world. So if I believe I'm stupid, right, then I see the world through these lenses that I'm not intelligent. There's 82, it's debatable, but there's roughly 82 billion bits of information that are happening at any given moment. Out of all the information that's happening at any given moment, we're only able to perceive less than 2%. So out of everything that's happening right now around us, we're only taking in a very small fragment of actually what's there. What we're bringing in always supports what our belief system is. So if I believe that I'm stupid, there can be all this opposing validating information, but I'm looking at you, Brian, just blinking and nodding your head, and I'm saying to myself, he just feels bad for me thinks I'm a moron. <laughs> I mean, and that's the way the human mind works, right? Yeah. Um, so what happens is in that first step of this process, what you're doing is you're activating all of this emotion, which is keep, which is actually triggering these belief systems. And what the mind wants to do in the activation phase is either create this story that you're doing it wrong or something's wrong with you or you want to connect to the discomfort of it because the mind wants to keep us in that comfort zone. It wants to keep us in that safe space that actually suffocates our lives. It's not safe at all. It's actually really unhealthy for us to be in that space. So the first step is like to trigger all of those thought patterns that are trying to protect us, right? And then the second step allows us to process them in a very healthy way so that we can use them and ultimately integrate that emotion towards our goal. Awesome. And then the third step would be the visualization of visualizing your, your goal. Yeah. Like, and, and there's a lot of different ways of doing it. Um, like what I like to do is identity work around that. So if my identity, the way I perceive myself is a certain way, like let's mm -hmm. say I perceive myself um, as average, right? Um, then I'm bringing information in that supports that belief system. See, I am average. I'm yep. earning an average income. I'm in an average type of relationship. I'm average. My friendships are average, right? What I want to do is I want to be able to go to my heart because the mind lives in duality. Should I this? Should I that? But the heart lives in oneness. This is the truth. I want to go to my truth and I want to tap into my core values or the things that are most important to me. And I want to be able to envision what they look like on that big screen manifesting at the highest freaking level. And I want to be able to see it. Then I want to ask myself, okay, for that to be, for that to happen, what are two characteristics that I want to, that I must embody to create that? So it might be focus and it might be confidence. So in the last part of this breathing sequence, what we're doing is we're seeing it, but we're shifting our breathing to inject the consciousness of focus and confidence into it. And over a period of time, you'll notice that the posture shifts, the breath, which is directly connected to the central nervous system, shifts, our eyes begin to shift, our, that, our thought patterns begin to shift, and neuroplasticity runs its course, and we begin to take on who we truly are, but forgot at some point. Awesome. I think visualization is something that's really important for me and my personal practice. I don't think I've 
talked about it enough. You know, I'm thinking about it now and it's like, that's a big part of, you know, of, of, of my practice and it's very valuable to me. So for me, you know, the meditation is kind of like this sort of like no thought, emptiness, void, open space. Really, it would be the letting go aspect, right? You're just, you're just, you're letting go. You're not trying to do anything. You're just really getting into the deepest space of relaxation um, possible. But then there's this other part that you're talking about, which is actually, you know, very important for me, which is the visualization part, which is actually actively, consciously, intentionally thinking, mm-hmm. you know, and dreaming and visualizing and storytelling of your future. And also, you know, the, the thing that's really amazing, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, that I think people don't realize as much. If you say like, well, you can imagine your future, you can dream your future. A lot of, most people can get that, you know, but it, you can also retell the story of your past visualize your past in different ways right and that one's a little more trippy for people to 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 get talk about that a little bit well i think it's uh, in nlp they call it timeline therapy and it's it's kind of like you go through an example of your past and like on the timeline therapy it's almost as if you're in like a hot air balloon Mm -hmm. and you're going back to that past experience and you can look at that past experience from one perspective and see it another way. But if you look at that same thing from this perspective, you'll see it another. If you look at it from this perspective, you'll see another. And all of those, expect, all of those um, perspectives are true unless you're lying, right? Like yep. everything is true except for a lie. No truth is a lie. It's just a perspective. But if you're taking on a perspective that's true – I don't know if you ever remember me saying that, but it's like one of my favorite sayings from whatever. Um, If we take on that perspective, it's true. It's just as valid as the perspective that we've taken on throughout our lives and the story that we've told ourselves. So we're able to see that past experience from a new perspective and create an entirely different narrative. Right. And And it's like the thing that's amazing is how the past and the future are interconnected, right? So it's like you're stuck in this timeline like as long as you're stuck in that story of the past, you can try to change the story of the future. But if you don't change the story of the past, you can't because you're stuck in this, this same loop. Yeah. You know, so it's like changing the one actually does change the other. It's like this amazing thing that opens up, you know, this, this different timelines of potentiality. For sure. Because I think that when you, when you change the story of the past, what we're really doing is we're, we're beginning to shift our identity. We're beginning to shift our right. subconscious. Right. You know, we're beginning to see ourselves right. from a different perspective and then ultimately right. see the world from a new perspective. And that's the deepest level of this, right? So it's like, well, I can change the external story of what happens, you know, the, 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 circ- the, the situation out there. But really, it's like what it gets really deep is getting to the root of the story of who I am. Mm-hmm. And realizing it's just a story. It's not, you know, I thought it was true, exactly what you said. But then recognizing that that's a story I've been holding on to. And then what you said also really well is like all the information coming at you then confirms the story of who you are. So it seems true. But if you recognize it's just a story, you can have a different story. And that story will confirm. So it's, it's what seems like it's a subjective, hard, fixed truth. I think as we wake up, we start to realize it's just it's just subjective story and we're able to create or recreate the story of who we are, which is super exciting. And, and with that comes like the re- for me, what I would say the reality of the transformation, which is everyone listening, just think to yourself and, and see if I'm right. Mama mia, mama mia, mama. 
what's the first word everyone said? Mia, right? Like, basically, I triggered you to think Mia by doing that, mm -hmm. right? Um, and what happens is, like, we have this old narrative of who we are. And as we're going through our transformation and we're really, like, shedding that old layer and really stepping into our truth, what happens is we're going to get that Mamma Mia occurrence. Like, in other words, things are going to constantly trigger our old identity and cause us to develop those old thought patterns again. And unless we know how to master those triggers, right? Unless we know how to master those triggers, those triggers are going to just constantly bring us back into that old identity. So I know for myself, um, with addiction, with cocaine addiction, and I saw somebody ask me a question about that, and I'll get to that in a moment. With cocaine addiction, I would drive down I-95 and I would see certain billboards and it, in the past, I realized like when I would see those billboards, I was like, all right, I'm going to go pick up some Coke. Like I didn't know what was happening, but I would always get to that same spot and like get that rush going through my body, that adrenaline rush that it was really hard for me to say no to go to use. So I was triggered by certain things to go use. But now that I understand what the trigger is, I utilize that trigger to pull me in a totally different direction. So for a period of time, when I noticed that trigger, I would start doing specific types of breathing sequences. Not a, like it didn't have to be any particular type. It was just that I was doing something different that was healthy. And now when I go by those billboards, it's like I automatically go into my breath work and it leads me to a healthier space. And that's the thing with transformation, especially when we're talking about shifting the subconscious, we have to be aware of what the triggers are that bring us back to that old space and then learn how to use and master those triggers to bring us to our, to our true identity. Which comes to this depth of, which comes back to being present in the moment, right? So be, when you're present in the moment, you notice what's here and you're able to, to work with it and address it as opposed to avoiding it or trying to escape it or trying to, to run from it. Yeah, actually loving it and, and loving it because like it's that number one indicator of what's important. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Robin had a question about your, uh, how do you feel about 12 steps programs, Mike? Is there anything you would add to them? Well, so I got arrested many years ago and I was arrested and I had cocaine on me. So the charge was possession of cocaine. And I went through this process called drug court. And part of the drug court process is you need to go to um, NA or AA. Uh, I think it was five or six days a week. So I would go and personally, my experience with the 12 steps was, um, was unhealthy for me. It just kept bringing up like these feelings by listening to people's stories. So my personal experience with the 12-step process um, was not one that I love. With that said, I work with several people who are in 12 steps and like the shifts that they have made, the depth of their shifts is miraculous. And when I hear them discuss the 12 steps, I'm like, whoa, this is absolutely beautiful. It's powerful. It wasn't my experience, but I was going through it during a time where I don't even know, I was still very cloudy. So um, is there anything that I would add to the 12 steps? I don't know. It seems like from what I understand of it, and I can't pretend to be an expert, but from what I do understand of it, it's a pretty 
thorough system. Um, and I think, I don't remember if it's the ninth or 10th step, but I, I think as people go through the, the process, like they continuously get challenged, they continuously grow. And it seems to be really amazing. For me, as it pertains to addiction, um, what I realized was my need to use came from my inability to, to love all of myself and to process all of my emotions and to be with them without trying to run or to hide or even judge them in any way, good or bad, right or wrong. And when I learned to love them all, I didn't see them as a problem. I saw and I see them as a messenger. So like it's how we perceive pain or it's how we perceive anxiety that's going to dictate where we go with it. So if you see pain, let's look at it this way. If we see everything as connected and our view of the universe is that it's expansive and that it's love-based, then we don't see the separation. And if we see pain as something if you can see God in everything and everyone, let me just cut to the case and throw God into it. If you can, <laughs> if you can see God in everything and everyone, then God will speak to you through everything and everyone, including pain, including unhealthy emotions. So if you allow yourself to sit with those emotions and be with those emotions and your view of God or your view of the universe is one that's love and expansive, then you won't see the pain or the emotion as something negative. You'll see it as a messenger that's indicating something that's really important for us to live listen to and we learn to love that and when we learn to love that we're guided by it and then I utilize this formula it's called the love formula so if I'm in pain or if I'm in that space of wanting to use because my energy is low I will go and I will ask myself or I will go and I will ask God and listen I'll say God what is it that you want me to see in order to be who you want me to be and the first step after asking is I will get into that meditative state and I will L I will listen. What is the message? I will, oh, observe the message. Why is it being communicated to me? What's its value? I will V, visualize what does it look like for me to completely honor this message in the healthiest, most powerful way. And then E, express it. What action steps can I take in this moment to move forward into this? And it's like what was once this like horrible angst feeling or feeling of pain has just became the most liberating, powerful force that's actually guiding me to move forward with clarity, passion, and purpose and strength. Awesome. Yeah, it's like if you can if you can love God, if you can see God in everything there is and love God in everything there is, you'll no longer have a cocaine addiction. Right? <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's like I was thinking about you said it. I'm, I'm, it's funny, but it's also true. It's like. You know, to get to the root of these issues, when you open up to this consciousness, you know, it, it addresses the root of so many things that people are, are suffering with. And, and like you said, the, the, uh, the inability to love ourselves, right? It's, it's about the, the, the ability to fully love ourselves. We have a comment here from Peter. Mike helped me break through addiction issues as well.